James Bond's first 007 mission leads him to Le Chiffre, banker to the world's terrorists. In order to stop him and bring down the terrorist network, Bond must beat Le Chiffre in a poker game at the Casino Royale. Bond meets a beautiful British Treasury official, Vesper Blind, who is assigned to deliver his stake to the game and watch over the government's money. But as Bond and Vesper survive a series of lethal attacks by Le Chiffre and his henchmen, a mutual attraction develops. And by the way, that's the official DVD synopsis, which gives away the whole plot of the film. <laughs> which, making its premiere in London on the 14th of November 2006 before opening in the UK a couple of days later on the 16th and a day later across the USA Casino Royale is the 21st James Bond film it cost $72 million to make and brought in 594.2 at the worldwide box office starring Daniel Craig directed by Martin Campbell the vital statistics are Conquest 1.5 Martini's 3 Kills 12 Bond James Bond's 1 Back in 2006, Variety said, For once, there is truth in advertising. Credits proclaim Daniel Craig as Ian Fleming's James Bond 007, and Craig comes closer to the author's original conception of this exceptionally long-lived male fantasy figure than anyone since the early Sean Connery years. Casino Royale sees Bond recharged with fresh toughness and arrogance, along with balancing hints of sadism and humanity, just as the fabled series is reinvigorated by going back to basics. So, uh, my name is James Page. I am co-founder of mi6hq.com, mi6 Confidential Magazine, this podcast, various other things. And I'm delighted to be joined this week by Phil Nabil Jr., Ben Williams, and Natalie Bohensky. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hey there, this is Phil Nabil Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine, a sometime contributor to mi6 Confidential, uh, and great to be here. Hi, uh, I am Ben Williams. I am a contributor to mi6hq.com and um, the magazine MI6 Confidential. And hello, I'm Natalie Bohensky. I'm one day going to contribute to MI6 Confidential <laughs> uh, or MI6 uh, HQ. You watch me. It's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm based in Australia, hence the accent. Apologies for that. I have a podcast called Raven On, which is a pop culture podcast. So... First thing we talk about is the motif of the film, the one with what's the thing you would hang your hat on for the film? Um, what would you stick on the poster? What's the one thing you hear or see when you think about Casino Royale? How would you describe this film to a casual moviegoer? Casino Royale 2006 is the one with. I mean, I would start with just the one with Daniel Craig and then subsection the one with Daniel Craig getting his ball smashed in. I mean, is that too grotesque <laughs> to start with? Is that too. No. Is that me being too much of a feminist and going straight for like the emasculation element? No. Uh, <laughs> it might have just been better to call the whole film Ball Smasher anyway. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a Rick and Morty uh, <laughs> alternate cable show. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, because I remember um, my backstory with this film is I saw it in Madrid of all places because I was actually, uh, my partner Greg and I were away for I think six months kind of doing a big Asia-European adventure. But my partner who's like a, a Bond fan because of me got so into this film to the point where I we rewatched it last night in prep for this podcast, and he was quite frankly upset that he's not able to do this podcast <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> and I have a list of things that I must mention in order to show to remind everybody how good this movie is. And I think a lot of that is is Daniel Craig. You know, you can't go past him as as the new Bond, the blonde Bond, somewhat controversial, and yet here he is, and he delivers an amazing Bond performance. Yeah, he was. I think this is something to remember, Natalie. He was a, 
you know such a controversial choice at the time and there was such a uh, an opposition to his casting initially at least um and i think you know if i was to kind of hang my hat on anything i think it would be a similar thing but rather to sort of say uh this is the one with a kind of rebooted bond um, mm-hmm. rather than and, and daniel craig's performance completely um ties into that as well you know it's um it's what it it's what makes that performance but uh in terms of it being uh, a unique bond film it's really where we kind of see uh, a, a completely different version of 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 bond from ones we've seen before you know it's, this isn't just um this isn't just a reinterpretation by the actor this is literally supposed to right. be a different character mm. or a different instance of the character right yeah yeah, a different yes, exactly, a different iteration, perhaps. So, yeah. Hmm. Phil, at the time, at the time, it was well. Just to follow up on 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 uh, Ben's thing, at the time, it wasn't promised as a, a brand new version. It was promised to be the version that was going to show you who he was before he was the Bond you knew. And I'm, you know, the point at that time was to always be like, and and then we're going to get there. And then he never got there. But <laughs> I, know, I think, I think been, the, the, the very end of the movie, I think. He got there, and then it went somewhere else. And then they walked it back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was uh, that was really that was one of the. I think you know, there's not many things that I don't like about the movie, but it's not really about the movie. It's more about what they did after the movie, I suppose. So, yeah, it's really interesting that you say that, make that point, because Greg, as as I said, my partner is so keen on this, and he said you can't, don't remember, don't blame things that happened after this movie. You know, don't 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 sort of factor that in to like make sure you review this movie as a whole because it's it's perfect. What they then did afterwards and sort of changed things and made it weird. That's after. That's not here. You know? Sure, sure. No, it, just, it was just a thought that I had uh, in response to what Ben was saying there about uh, being yeah. a different iteration of the character. The thing mm-hmm. that I would ha- I'm going to get a little more ethereal about. This is the one with. This is the one with, or if you let me use a different preposition, maybe this is the, this is the one that sort of takes Bond as seriously as his fans took him for years and years. Mm. I always I feel like mm. that, uh, you know, for the 12-year-olds in the crowd who, who you know, Bond was this aspirational, heroic character, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't campy, it wasn't silly, it was, it was just fucking awesome when you were a kid. This is the movie that found you as an adult and, and delivered on the promise of Bond mm. uh, that you had as a kid. And, and I think that's, that's where the real sea change is in it. I mean, Die Another Day did very well. Uh, it made a bunch of money, all that stuff. But there is a silliness to Die Another Day in which everyone involved more or less knows what they're making and, 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 and is leaning into it not being all that serious. It's just a Bond movie. Mm. Um, this one takes it as seriously as the description on the back of a Fleming paperback. It's, and that, that to me was what was so exciting about it. I've written about this before, but you know, this is the first movie to come out after my dad passed away. My dad was the my my bond conduit, right? He oh. and to me, when I watched this, this was the movie he was waiting his whole life for, I think. Oh. And, he, and he didn't get to see it, right? But um th- that I think is the secret ingredient of Casino Royale, that it it made a Bond movie that uh reconnected you with that exciting feeling that you had when you were 12 and, and excited for a Bond movie, but now we're all middle-aged. And I think as we learned that aiming at those middle-aged fans uh, is... Uh, well, speak for yourself, Phil. 
I moisturize. <laughs> I, I don't know quite what we're going to do now because Phil's just put that out there, and who who, who follows that? You know, yeah. well, you know, you know what I mean. I just I just think, and 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 we saw the pitfalls over the the. Uh, Natalie was trying to call it a quintilogy. I'm just going to call it the Craig Fiver. Over the Fiver, uh, we saw the pitfalls of of trying to aim at that older crowd and not trying to recapture that youthful crowd. But I think the magic of Casino Royale was that it it did reach through the screen and grabbed you and made you excited about Bond again in a way that you maybe hadn't been since you were a kid. Right. But yeah, not I, using but not using nostalgia to do it. Mm. Right, exactly. Right. It felt vital and it felt fresh and it and it it didn't not feel like a Bond movie, which I think is a high wire act that doesn't get enough credit for this movie. It feels through and through like a Bond film, but not one you'd ever seen before. And also I think existed for a new audience as, um, that didn't have any necessarily any touchstones to the old franchise, you know, for, for the previous films. They they could come into it um it didn't need a nudge, nut, you know. It didn't need a nudge and a wink that uh, Die Another Day had been doing, kind of throughout the movie. It was mm-hmm. just, it was inviting them in to just watch a, a well-made film, mm. and a Which well-made is- film it was too. Yeah. I, I, it, that that they just sort of knew it had to be special and knew it had to like really jumpstart the whole thing. There, mm-hmm. there was no laziness to the execution. It was, and they were, they weren't resting on any laurels or leaning on any you know there's there's a cute callback line here and there but it is a movie that's earning it the whole time just listen to assume i'm nodding along to phil <laughs> yeah uh mine was it's the one with the risks ah. which kind of goes to what you're saying mm. phil which is um there was a lot of creative risks taken and i think all of them came off yeah yeah, if you look back at the Bond back catalog, it's like whenever they take, you know, roll the dice, take some change, you know, make some changes. Um, there's a segment of the fandom that's like, yeah, that was terrible, right, or whatever, um, or they should never have done that. But on this one, they gambled on so many different factors, and I think their number came up on all of them. And that's not too often that happens creatively. Yeah, when you're working with a team. Um, and to go back to your point, Phil, about like Dino the Day was kind of like workman like. I remember the press conference, kickoff press conference for Dino the Day when Lee Tamahori said, well, these kind of movies just direct themselves. I was like, Whoops. uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and here we see Martin Campbell on day one, like, Hasha! you know, like yeah. he's so, so invested in it, right? Yes. It's just a different work ethic. He did Goldeneye, Martin Campbell, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. See, he's got a magic touch, I think. Well, he did Green Lantern too. I, well, this is, this is, uh, uh, well, my, okay. He's got a magic bond touch. I'll clarify. <laughs> I never saw green lights. <laughs> this is not to say that Martin Campbell isn't, you know, sort of a, a stylish director necessarily, but I think he, you know, he's, he's very, um, workmanlike. And I mean that in a really positive way. You know, he mm. does his short reaction shot stuff. He, he gets on with it. And you know, there's a there's a feeling of economy in his in his films, and uh, you know, and 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 energy and pace to them. And I think he just is he takes yeah. the, he takes the script and he makes it. In, mm. in online speak, he understood the assignment. Yeah, yeah. and yes. and I think he knew when to take risks. He knew when to play it safe, and um, he made very smart decisions. Mm. Very smart decisions, more so than anything any other Bond director. Yeah, it's uh, it's very true. And given that 
again, not to compare, but Quantum of Solace with its infamous choppy, choppy, changey editing, uh, which for me I remember being quite distracted by, going, I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he he sets it all out. This this was not the film to be doing extravagant, weird directorial things because you're doing so much new world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's really reliable. There's no, there's no speed ramping in Casino Royale. No. Yes. <laughs> it, and, and neither does he really do anything that adventurous in GoldenEye either. And I, I, I think that's kind of what I mean by, like, he just he gets on and delivers a product. Yes, and lets the story and the acting and that take yeah. centre stage as opposed to... which he's I, a, yeah. yeah, he's actually quite a good actor's director, um, you know, because he, he sets... He sets up the, the scene and lets them kind of go, really, and mm. um, I appreciate that about him. Um, he's, he, may, he may not be a flashy director, but I think he's a he's he's a very solid director, and I, I don't really not like his movies. I wonder if they'll get him back to do the first film of the next Bond. He seems to be a um, good first Bond mm. establishing. Start, or something we're, we're starting the super pack. Mm. Um, oh, really? To lobby <laughs> for him? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I would agree. I would join that super pack. I don't have any money to give you, but I'll give you support. <laughs> Goodwill and oh no, just because I only because I work in the prayers. arts, so I don't have any money. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, thoughts and prayers coming in. Yeah, um, good vibes. Let's, so, let's raise that cocktail. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the cocktail because you know Casino was the one that apparently threw the formula out, but did mm. it really? Um, so Ooh, no. would you? Ooh, I have a theory. Yeah. So would you like to pick one of these ingredients that you think is especially important is, is twist? Is there's a twist or somehow unique or particular to this film and why? Could be a good thing or a bad thing. And we've got teaser titles, plot, women, villains, allies, bond action, locations, dialogue, and style. Nat, do you want to pick one? Look, I just want to say, and maybe this is copping out, but this is the film that builds the cocktail both literally and metaphorically. So there's a scene where the, we're at the poker table, Daniel Craig asks for a martini and then he says, wait a second, and he actually lists the ingredients. And then everyone says, yeah, I'll have one of those too. That sounds good. But also this film is all about building those ingredients of a Bond movie and showing you the first time they're done. So the first time he wears a tuxedo, the first time he drinks the martini, obviously culminating in the first time he says, my name is Bond, James Bond. And the first time then at the very end of the film, when the theme song, the Monty Norman theme song comes in. So to me, it's, it's, um, there's obviously I'm happy to talk about each of those individual agreements, but it's all the little lessons that he learns from one thing to the next. That then builds the bond. bond. Yeah. That builds the bond cocktail. And as you say. Is this one deconstructed then? That's right. You have to put it together yourself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I, for example, something that, again, I'm going to keep mentioning my partner, Greg, because he is just so obsessed with this movie. He keeps seeing things every time we watch it. The The fact that you remember in the poker game, he gets Vespa to come down in a very beautiful dress, kiss mm. his neck, and everyone will be looking at her and not paying attention to their cards. Uh, and then, of course, she messes with him a bit. But he learnt that because when he was playing poker in the Bahamas with Demetrius, mm-hmm. Demetrius's girlfriend walks in in the sexy dress and he's distracted by her. And yep. it's like he, he's learnt that lesson and then has applied that lesson mm-hmm. in, in his work. 
uh, which is not something that I had noticed. And we were discussing this last night. I was like, oh, yeah, this is all he learns something, processes, synthesizes that information, and mm -hmm. then puts it into action himself. So Similar, you guys, yeah. I'm sure, all are across this, but I, I just wanted to well, put out that. Never, never thought of that in my life before right now. Oh, yeah. really? Sim <laughs> Similarly, the Mathis, Rennie Mathis, right? Um, that's where he gets the Bond James Bond from. Son mm. of a... Ah. Watch this movie. I didn't even pick that one up, but, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it, it's these classic little bits that they're feeding you. And, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm sure I discussed the theme song in, in when Stu and I did our podcast about this a couple of years ago. But, uh, again, just re-watching it was how obvious that you never hear, you know, like da-da-da-da at all through the movie. It's all the, you know, my name refrain. Mm -hmm. They're like da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then just at the very end, then he's Bond. And it, it's just such a wonderful build-up and such a satisfying payoff. It's like you've, you've drunk that cocktail and it's brave gone down creative Yeah, another yeah. brave creative choice, right, not to use the theme till the end. Mm. Mm. I'm sure, like, the Never Never Gren team are like, damn it, that's what you should have done. <laughs> can, we so can, we put, can we put that to Bond then? Now, if you were, if you're saying like it's Bond deconstructed and he's building his world up through this yes, film, yeah, well, can, we, can we put that square peg in the Bond round hole on this list? Yeah, of course. All right, why not? Why not? Uh, ben or Phil, let's go. All right. Uh, to me, the, the the cocktail element that I think is really very special in the film is David Arnold's score, which Natalie had touched on there, but. Uh, we talked about this perhaps during Honor Majesty's Secret Service, how to me it felt like Barry was maybe giving this new Bond his own theme right. with with that. And this very much feels like that. This very much feels like this is this Bond's theme in this moment. And and the way that that theme song can play as a very 2006 rock song in the uh, title sequence, but also feels very orchestral and timeless throughout the film mm. in in different you know, circumstances, um, it really makes me, and I, I'm a, you know, I'm a big Skyfall fan, but I, I am so sad about David Arnold not scoring Craig's last three films. And, and this movie is a big reason why I just think he just crushed the score here. It just sounds like such a classic timeless bond score, but it is, but it's not lazy and it's not leaning on anything. It is uh, created for this film and it's, always forever tied to this film. I guess Han Hans Zimmer's still some of the Vesper theme for No Time to Die, right. but um, it's, and you know, it, this is so nerdy, but like I will be like just walking down the street or in my car and just sometimes the, the, those, that refrain will just hit in my head. I just hear it. I just hear it all mm. the time. This It's a classic. Do you think if Arnold would have gone on to school the rest of them, we would have, we would have heard that be reused? Um, would, would he folded it back in? I, yeah. I don't know because he, he kind of didn't bother doing that with quantum, right? Not so much. Mm, right. It quantum very much has its own sound too. Um, but potentially, I mean, it's just such, it's, it's Craig's theme to me forever. Mm. Even though it's only oh, yeah. in one movie. And, and so, and to add to that, Phil, um, the five sort of notes of Vespa's theme as well are equally powerful and resonant throughout his, um, uh, what did you call it? Craig's five? 
the fiver. Daniel, Dan, Daniel five. The um, fiver. Is that the one that goes like dun 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 dun? Is that, so is that yep. ding ding ding? Yeah, ding. that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just it simple it and it's brilliant. And mm. uh, you know, if 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 you know my name plays through your head, Phil Vespa's theme plays through mine. I think it's excellent. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really really good point. And and to just second the. I, I would have loved to have had Arnold score basically all of all of Craig's movies, and uh, I think that would have been a really wonderful thing. Mm. Um, I would have, you know, I, I think just to have that kind of break in the scores, um, yeah, it was unfortunate. Um, but I'll, I'll just I'll throw out my cocktail, and um, James asks us whether it's the teaser, the titles the plot, the women, the villains, the allies, Bond himself, the action, the locations, the dialogue, or the style. And much like a child sneaking downstairs to the parents' liquor cabinet, I'm going to try all of those. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to pour it all in and see what happens and hope that that is a good drink. And and I've got to say, whatever I've done here, it turned out to be really good because this isn't a perfect film for all of those things. Um, mm. The teaser has a flashback within a flashback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the titles oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> are, are amazing. Um, pro- I mean, genuinely amongst my favorite title sequences of kind of any films, really. Uh, it's not great. Just films. You know, my favorite part of that, Ben, is like, I remember we at the premiere, the, the bit where at the very end of the titles where Craig's, head yeah. like the strips move and it reveals yeah. him and then the banknotes explode yeah telling you that was like an electric moment right right and um i i was living in australia at this time so i was i went to, but to we, we recently discovered that we were both standing in the same street didn't yeah. we on the same day and we didn't know each other yeah oh, that was wow. kind of yeah. yeah um but um yeah, that that reaction just to just to those titles and i liked the the sense that they weren't going in with the scantily clad ladies kind of direction, which I thought, you know, this was marking a, um, a direction. It's um, another one of those tabloid fake controversies about this film. Mm. But then also you've got um, a plot that is, you know, fantastic, a pure, pure Fleming, but modernized really, really creatively, I think. Mm. Um, and with, Eva Green, you've got one of the best Bond women, well, I think in the series, really. Um, And, you know, she has other people um, like Michelle Yeoh and um, uh, Dinah Rigg. And, you know, they are great Bond women as well. But I think she really just is such an asset to this film with her performance. Um, Bond, we've already discussed, so I don't need to kind of go over it again, but... He's just fantastic in this in this movie, um, and the action really right the way from the parkour to the sinking house. Um, yeah, it's you 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 couldn't really ask for more in it, um, and and the whole style of the film, um, and I, I think this kind of touches on something that um, I, I can't remember one of you guys said earlier, but it, it was just kind of the unapologetic quality of this film. 
just being like, this is a Bond film and uh, it's bold and it's stylish and, you know, it's not shrinking in any way. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think really Casino Royale is, a, is the perfect blend of all of those elements. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. And it's, uh, for me, it's always, um, yeah, I can't really fault it in terms of a great, great Bond movie. Uh, but whereas, you know, my podcasting partner, Stu, and my life partner, Greg, <laughs> both have it as their favourite Bond film, because I've got that legacy of just my love for Bond, like old school Bond, it mm. only ever gets to number four on my list. I'm probably talking about this too early, uh, too early but it, it just because I've got that attachment to my personal favourites, but, right. like, that doesn't stop me seeing the incredible good mix that's going on here in this film and again trying to just see it as this film as opposed to all the other Craig films which I have more issues with this is a stunning debut yeah um of all that list Ben I agree with you 99% the only one and I don't want this thing to be a complete gush fest so I'm going to pull up one thing which is I think of that list I'm going to say the weakness would be locations yeah madagascar great yeah bahamas we've seen it done better miami faked yeah um and then montenegro wasn't montenegro it was the czech republic yeah and it's madagascar was fake too no well yeah i think they're all faked (laughs) except (laughs) for the bahamas um but i don't think montenegro is somewhere that much of the audience would have any kind of grasp on what it should even look like, Mm. let alone what it's like to be there. And I don't think you get any feeling from the film as to any kind of real sense of a tangible location. Like Mm. there's nothing really to go Even in the establishing shots of things, like you don't feel like you're in Miami when you go to Miami. Right. You know, there's nothing to, to ground you there. It's because you're at Prague International Airport (laughs) and (laughs) and and the top of your test track. Yeah, Yeah, well, and also you're there at night, so he sort of flies in at night, goes to the Body Works exhibition, and then it could be anywhere, and it was. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was much much the same as like a lot of um, films that cheat locations, but somehow they manage to convince you a little bit more. And I'll I tell you this, Skyfall equally cheated locations, but I think you feel like you're actually there a little bit more yeah, in those locations than, um, than in Casino. It's interesting to me that, you know, whenever Battleship Island comes up or in any kind of dis- discussions, um, you know, that the people will always say, oh, well, that was a real location. You know, that was a real place they actually went to, it, and it wasn't. And they cheated that as well. But, but it's interesting. Yeah. I don't think anyone ever really kind of feels fully convinced by the the sinking house in venice or right you know montenegro was the one for me because it's like why montenegro like you have all (laughs) of europe to choose from and also they could have just well it's a bit exotic it's 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 a bit exotic it's a bit you know slavic a bit mysterious and maybe maybe that's the reason why they chose that because then they could film elsewhere and call it that Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why. But, um, you know, it's about kind of capturing something, I think. And it, and it doesn't necessarily 
I mean, there's there's more that goes on in kind of um, the living daylights to kind of capture location and uh, a sense of place than you ever have in Casino Royale. You know, um, one mm-hmm. is a substantially better film than the other, but I still I, I still kind of agree with James that you don't really feel grounded in those those environments. Mm. It's almost like uncanny valley locations. Yeah, like you know, there was this plan at one point for um, there to be a permanent um, extension to Pinewood that was going to be like yes. a little Venice and a you yeah. know a little bit of this. It just feels like that was shot there, you know. Right. I could add one more pulling up on. Th- well, actually, I could add two more small gripes with this film. Uh, one is that we hate it. No, we hate. No, I don't. <laughs> One one is that one is a retrospective one is a retrospective annoyance because in No Time to Die, they showed Vesper's tomb, uh, which weirdly had a photo on it, which is a whole other thing. Straight from the press office. um, Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was more that they showed her age on the tomb. So in this film, she's twenty three, and that really annoyed me. Because mm. I'm the same age as Eva Green, and uh, and I was like, I could I could buy her as a late twenties. I'm going to play the great official. card here. I'm afraid. Um, going to play your, the what? The, your boyfriend card, or your partner card. Sorry, and I'm going to say everything that happens after Casino Royale retrospectively. You know, <laughs> you've well, that's what you've done. You've just you've just taken <clears throat> um, true, true, and apply. Pl- yes. All right. Well then. In that case, let's canonically make her. Can we please make her like at least 28, 29? I think she's 29 turning 30. Uh, that's where I get her to, to be that high up in the treasury that they would say, yes, you need to go and look after our $15 million. It's just not beyond I, the bounds of with, with this guy that's almost uh, old enough to be a dad. Yeah. No, he was only 38 when they've made this. Yeah, but if she's 23, it's kind of getting to like it's getting close, that's, isn't it? That's 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 what I mean. I feel I feel like to match which wits the way they do. Uh yeah, I'm it, sure it needs to it needs to be sort of um when they when she sits down in front of him, she she has all of that you know, confidence. Yes. And take no shit attitude. Yes. Which, although you might see far more in girls of twenty three now, you're, or women, sorry, I should say, of twenty three now. No, girls, go girls. I'm I'm sticking were, with girls. You're less likely to see it <laughs> of of twenty three year olds back in two thousand and six. I just yeah, it it doesn't sit right that she's that young. I, d- I don't know if you were the one that retweeted this film, but there was some guy like before No Time Today came out saying like, dude, in reference to Bond, dude, it's some twenty three year old you knew for two weeks get over it. <laughs> yes. Yep. And this this is what I mean. It's it, it's uh, I, well, I take the view that they probably were sailing for six months or so, or you know, a, a number of months. Um, so that's fair. But it does seem it it to me it, it devalues their relationship for her to be that young. You know, I, I see her if she's late twenties, early thirties, or thirty odd. I mean, it it's, may- a, it's a nice yacht, but six months, man. That's not, <laughs> that's not taking toll on anybody. Right. But you're cruising around the med or something. Like it's yeah, not going to be. Can, I suppose you can sort of go ashore and stuff. Yeah, but... and they had all that money, so yeah, it's, it's not like they were short of a quid for a, a night in a hotel. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, true. My other small gripe that I can point out is 
this was the gritty reboot of Bond and, and you know, it is probably a point to say this did come out, uh, what, a year after Batman Begins and this is sort of Bond Begins. Uh, yeah. So it's the gritty reboot. Very, very much influenced by both Bourne and Batman, I think. Yes, Bourne's the other one, of course, Bourne, Batman, Bond. It's all the Bs. Uh, so it's the gritty reboot. And then you have at the airport just massive Richard Branson cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not if you watched it on a British Airways plane. You're you're watching it in. (laughs) Oh, did they take that out on British Airways? British Airways took out Richard Branson's cameo for the in-flight version of this movie. I love that petty bitchiness. It's petty, right? I love that. I love it. That's great. Um, But, yeah, that sort of does make you go, hang on, that's Richard Branson. Is that a celebrity cameo? And uh, you know, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world, but it, it, it was, definitely is something that 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 takes you out of the gritty reboot for a moment. Yeah, it was his price for letting them use the planes. Ah, yeah, I see. So I that's the, it's, that. the, it's the money can't buy you gift for your friendly billionaire, right? Is a cameo in a James Bond movie. Seriously. That is true. That is true. I'm surprised he didn't ask to have a speaking role. <laughs> he could have been the friendly man at the treasury asking for where his money is, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So this is a very appreciated film. So this is a, probably one of the most difficult parts of this episode to do. But we're going to do underappreciated element. What thing, big or very small, would you like to bring to people's attention next time they watch this movie? Oh, oh, oh. Go, Phil. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to fa- first of all say that um, all of your location gripes – didn't didn't impact me one bit. It, movies are fake. We we get it. Uh, I think they sold a reality uh, well enough, and uh, you know it, everything felt more real than the helicopter fight inspector. So you know True. on that on that creating curve. Yeah. But <clears throat> so the the we talked about how this is still a Bond movie, and even though it's very risky and unBond like in a lot of ways, but one one thing that's always just sort of like a fun weird staple that sometimes falls flat or sometimes adds the color is is Bond. At an event, Bond, uh, Bond, at some pyramid presentation in Egypt for uh, Spy Who Loved Me, or, or Bond, at Bond, Bond at Carnival, or whatever in Moonraker, or or the uh, the the Junkanoo in, in Thunderball. I, I love when he is <clears throat> when the plot is happening in in a space where something's already happening, right? Mm-hmm. Where where you're getting some local flavor. This one does it in a very weird way by by having him go to this body worlds exhibit, which I think in five years time, anyone watching Casino Royale is not going to have any idea what the fuck Bond is. <laughs> right. 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 What is body worlds? I think we're already there maybe, but for a hot minute in 2006, that crazy weirdo artist was getting people <laughs> to volunteer to donate their dead bodies to him. And then he would plasticize them and take off their skin and, and arrange their veins and shit. And Super he, weird. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so creepy. I went to one in Amsterdam that was all sex themed. It was very unsettling. Oh and, my um, god! Oh my god! Sex themed yeah. one. He had. I, yes, I have been put, to the sex museum in Amsterdam, which was a lot of fun. He uh, put these people who donated their dead bodies together in sexual positions. Uh, in that, it it was so strange. But to me, there was something so perfectly Fleming about putting Bond in that space, surrounded by real dead bodies. You know, Fleming's mm-hmm. obsession with the death head that that theme that's always on the book covers and and whatnot. Um, so there's a scene in this movie that is full of real dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, the, you, know the, you know the best part of it is Eon don't have to pay them any residuals. 
Yes, so that's a good thing. They're very the excited about pictures. that. <laughs> and 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 the the artist who did it is wandering through that scene with a camera crew following him, and you can sort of maybe hear him, or if you turn the head the uh, subtitles on, you can sort of make out what he's saying. But it's a completely nonsensical, uh, free of context location, and and it's just all these dead bodies, like at a poker table and on a horse and all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> and I I just love how kind of weirdly Fleming it is and also of the moment it is and how random it's going to look to like and any any other festival or event or public space that you see Bond in in 25 other movies you would have more of an idea of what's happening than, right. than this weird display right. of dead bodies mm. I love it <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Phil, with your Bangori, ladies and gentlemen. I was about to I was just about to say that this makes a lot of sense given your profession. <laughs> hey, I didn't I didn't put it in the movie. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's a reason there's a reason you gravitated towards it. Mm. Mm. Potentially. Um but I I just I just think that's a real special moment. You know, we talk about the, you know, the the Texas Hold'em of it all and the parkour of it all and how uh, that stuff was going to date well or poorly, but this random ass art installation that makes no <laughs> sense to anybody who doesn't know what it is, is very special. Uh, I, I can talk to, or in terms of a concept that I think maybe is one that definitely I've learned to appreciate more again, referencing my partner, cause he's very big on this is, and it's in the lyrics of the song is you didn't notice me change the game we were playing. And it's the idea that bond cannot lose. He, he is a character trait that is, I will not lose. Mm. Uh, and it's what makes it, you know, a big part of what makes Bond Bond. And so in this film, you have numerous instances of him changing the game. Uh, he, you know, I cannot lose. And so I will change the game. Uh, one, I, uh, one element of that is the, um, the plane that the the great scene with the fight where he's trying to stop the guy from blowing up the the demonstration plane, which obviously mm-hmm. then thwarts um, Mads Mikkelsen's plan to short the stocks and get money and pro- prompts the ca- casino game in the first place. Uh, but the way he ties the bomb onto the back of the mm-hmm. bomber's belt, and so then he he pushes him out, and the bomber's like, ah. Well, I'm still alive, and you 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 didn't stop. I've still got the trigger, and oh, I'm going to set it off anyway. And then you just see Bond, who's been. Just, why do bombs in movies always get like put out a pitch that yeah. get higher and, and more frequent? It's I, it's a thing that in movies really just bugs me so much. They did it in the 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 last Predator movie, the the Prey movie that they had, and. You know, it's shot, it shot these bolts so many times and not once does it go beep, 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 But for the last time it gets shot, <laughs> for those who uh, haven't uh, seen it, yeah, apologies. <laughs> Spoiler ahead. Yeah, when it gets shot in the head, it does that. So anyway. Cinema. Cinema. <laughs> but anyway, the, the, the point I'm making is that he, he has changed the game on the guy and the guy didn't notice that the thing had been right. put on his belt. So it's Bond and, and the smile that, that Craig delivers at that point of like, yeah, I got you, I won. And yeah. then later on when he he gets tricked by Le Chiffre, uh with the tell at the game and he thinks he knows Le Chiffre's tell, uh, but it turns out he didn't. Le Chiffre was was tricking him or at least knew how to change his tell and beat Bond and Bond's out of the game and he's just sitting at the table <laughs> looking at the hand 
everyone else leaves the table and he's like, what the fuck just happened? And so then he goes and gets a drink and grabs a knife and is like, right, that's it. And he, he's just going to go kill Le Chief. Like screw M's whole thing of we need him alive for yeah, information. Well, I think to kind of um, condense what you're saying is is that he is, you know, if there's a choice between A and B, he'll make the C choice. You know, mm. he will he will create another option. Um, yes. The Bill Clinton third way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he called it? Yeah. You have to you have to get behind. Oh, I was desk. making a euphemism joke. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, um my underrated moment, if I may, um is that Bond is actually um not very good at spying in this movie. <laughs> and is 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 basically seen every time he tries to surveil somebody. Um, so when he's at the airport um, and he's look, trying on the sunglasses, yeah. he's seen there. Um, he's seen when he's um, uh, looking, at, like comes out of the water, um, and uh, you know he's basically, oh, I'm supposed to be spying on this guy. I'm just actually looking at his wife. Oh, now I've been spotted. He's spotted again in Miami by the same dude. <laughs> Um, but isn't that the point is because that's uh, when he turns up undercover and he's supposed to be mr beach and he's been given a whole cover story and he just walks and goes hi i'm james the 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 first sort of half of the movie right well the casino royale is two movies basically shoved together um Mm. you know one starts with a train and the other one starts in a gray office um they're basically you know, two self-contained films stuck stuck end to end, but um, yeah, in that first half of the movie, before he goes to um, play cards, he's essentially just the worst spy. You know, he, <laughs> he just keeps getting, and I think that that he still looks cool while he's doing it, and he still, as you say, Natalie, he still doesn't lose. But I think it, it I think it plays into this notion that he is still a rookie. And he's still mm. having to do things a little bit on the fly, and he isn't Bond yet, but he's cool enough, and there's room for him to grow into that, I, I, I guess. And I guess that's something that I don't think a lot of people um, pick up on is that he's not actually that effective to begin with. And he's um, he he's reckless, as as Eva Green Vesper points out. Yes, you're, mm. you're reckless. All right, we're moving on to trivia. Um, this is a pretty well-documented film, so it's going to be hard to find something. So maybe lean on the personal for this. Um, trivia, would you like to share a fact or tidbit about the film that you find particularly interesting? Um, one thing that always used to annoy me, well, and still annoys me, is that in in the uh, pre-title sequence, when um, Malaka and Bond are facing off on the crane, um, you know, he, had, he Bond has a gun pulled on him, and it's an automatic. And Bond would know that the slide would have been locked back if he if he was out of ammunition, right? So there's there's a split moment where where Bond is just looking at this guy holding a gun to him, and he pulls the trigger. Bond, there's no way Bond knows that that gun is empty or is not going to fire because that would have the slide would have locked back. So he basically stands there going. He's, I, I, it kills that moment for me. Um, 
So I think that seeing that kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Um, that was it. Uh, I mean, I've well, got, considering considering they always have a, an armor and a weapons expert in all these movies, it just doesn't make sense. It's like I get the idea of like click, click, click. It's empty, but that's not how guns work. And most of the audience who've ever played any kind of video game or anything like that um, would have or seen any action movie would pretty much know that that's how that works. That might have worked in a Bond movie in the 1960s, <clears throat> but probably not now. I remember yeah. in the storyboards, Ben, the, the, there's a callback to the Dr. No line. It, oh, you've had your you, six or something? Yeah, but it's like you've had your 10 or some shit like that, whatever, whatever that gun holds. Um, but yeah, he, they, he does know that it's empty. Uh, in this, obviously, this doesn't excuse any of that, but it, uh, there was some thought put into the idea that he knew it was empty because he uh, had a line originally in the uh, acknowledging yeah, his I mind. mean... <laughs> Even if he had, even if he had, had acknowledged that it was empty, I just feel that there's a, a certain universal kind of knowledge about. No, I'm not saying everybody knows this. Not every single person knows this, obviously. But I'd say most savvy moviegoers would have some indication that a gun is empty when the slide goes back. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just me. I uh, I firmly put my hand up and say I have no idea how guns work. I live in Australia. Guns are I, – well, <laughs> I was in the shooting club at school very briefly, but they were 22 rifles. Yeah. Uh, I could not tell you the difference between a loaded gun and a loaded gun. So thank you for that piece of trivia. I will now look out for it. Um, well, okay, so that probably didn't land that well. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. I, but I but mean, in taking it's, out it's a, a trope. It's a trick. It, yeah, and taking out the line and, and, and maybe the slide wasn't set back, maybe it was a misfire. Yeah, but that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of balls to stand in front of somebody with a gun pointing <laughs> right at you and hope for a misfire. <laughs> I mean, nobody wants to see, nobody wants to see Bond crouching in fear. No. What else are you gonna do? Fall off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not not yeah, I just let him go. I just be like, you do you know what? You can go. It's fine. I'll just go back. I'll get the next crank. I'll get the next crank. <laughs> Natalie, what you got for us? Well, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I believe the car flip is a world record holder. Yep, it is. The the flipping of the car multiple times. Yeah. Um, I'm not super good on my car. I love an Aston Martin. When I win the lotto, that's my ex- extravagant splurge will be an Aston Martin of some description. Like a nice one, um, but yeah, that's that's an incredible stunt. Uh, the flipping like, car. I got to drive that bit of track. What? What? In, what? In, a, in a DB12, and it, oh. the, guy, the guy next to you is just going faster, 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 and oh. you're coming into this corner, and you're like, "No, I have to be braking right now. <clears throat> this is this is ludicrous." And this guy is just shouting at you to put your foot on the accelerator. He's like, "More accelerator." <laughs> And in the corner, and you literally take off for, you know, like a second and a half. And it's absolutely, it's terrifying. Oh, um, my God. What is your life, guys? What is your life? That's so cool. <laughs> benefits of being a regular yeah. contributor to MI6 yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Well, I've got to get, get in on that. Got to get in. I've got to get in on yeah. this. Um, so um, on, on that on that barrel jump, though, Natalie, uh, I think we talked about this on the watch along a bit. For those who missed it, Aston Martin were not happy about hmm. that barrel roll because they were concerned that viewers would think their cars were unsafe. Oh, no. 
And there was a massive PR kind of blow up between the filmmakers and Aston Martin at, at the time of re- a release. Um, I think they settled their differences, but they were not happy. Mm. Wow. At all. But wouldn't yeah. they have been told about it? Like, no. <laughs> oh. They, just they, had to use an, they had to use an air cannon to flip it because they couldn't get the car to leave the ground. It was that good, so they had to use an air cannon. Ah, but that's that's surely that's a good like the car that you know Bond had to fake to make it crash. Yeah, it might have been good for them to come out and and do a behind the scenes thing about how they actually did it to like quell the uh, but make concerns sure about safety. Every person that sees that, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's the last of their concerns when they the <laughs> basically failing car company sorry just you know ever teetering on bankruptcy yeah are they yes like aston martin and mgm are like kindred spirits (laughs) (laughs) surviving just because the names are uh, are good um well in terms of other trivia i have two more little things and i don't know if they're sort of trivia or more just things i'd like to point out one is is that one thing about this film that always makes me kind of giggle is how old the tech looks, even though this is <laughs> yeah, quite all the, like all the, all the, the Sony shit didn't help, did it? Yeah, yeah. The, the the film. I feel like the, this film. You could say, oh, this is a twenty twenty film, and it would work if not for the 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 Sony the Ericsson phones and the Sony Vio laptop and the you know all, all those things that seem to be. The interesting so thing about it now, though, Natalie, when you talk about the tech, is that there really isn't any narrative requirement for it, right? Like the story is a game of cards, and it it, it really doesn't require. You know, yes, a, a lot I, of I said technology. I I said this watching it last night that at one point Bond they have a tracker that they put into Lashif's asthma puffer. Yeah. Yeah, really obviously too. By the way, yeah. that goes back to your point about Bond not being a great spy. He literally just picks it up and puts, looks around the room, puts it in. Yeah, uh, and and they he uses his Ericsson to see where Le Chiffre is. Oh, he's and in his like, room. He's in his own do, room. He's in his own room. Surely that's what you intuition would tell you as a spy when they they've said we're having a break in the game, and so meet back here in an hour. You were on your way to your room. Everyone's just going back to their room to right. have a nap then, or to get changed or have uses, a shower. Never uses that tracker again. No, no. <laughs> it was just, it was a weird thing that wasn't necessary. It was just, I think, to show off the phone a bit. Well, um, wouldn't, it been, wouldn't it have been cooler if it was a directional finder on his watch? Right. Or something like that. Yeah. That would, that would not have dated. That would have been yeah. fine. Do you know what I did like, though? Um, because in the in the book, Casino Royale, um, you know, when Vesper and, and Bond are having dinner together, um, uh, he, he gets a he gets a telegram um, rather than gets a text message. And I thought just the kind of the modernization of him going, oh, oh, not not Bond. It's um, it's it's Vesper who gets the message. But in the in the book, Vesper like, oh, Mathis Mathis needs me, and then she goes, and then it's the same thing. It's just. He gets a text rather than a telegram. And I know that's a small thing, but I just, I like the way that the, the technology didn't really interfere with that scene per se. Mm. But it. Except it's worked. a big white Sony brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it just. It's like a first it, generation iPod now. Yeah. And the thing is, is with the tech from older Bond movies, it suits 
the the vibe, even though you go, oh, look at that, you know, silly tech, it still suits. Like I still get impressed by GoldenEye, the computers that they had in GoldenEye, even though the, the green screen on the, like mm-hmm. it suits. Whereas this one, because it seems like, I don't know why the, the, the fashion and the everything hasn't changed from 2006 to now. Like it still looks very relevant. Mm. Yes, I was going to say and, this earlier, like people are still wearing very, like you could be a Bond fan and wear what Bond wears in Casino Royale and nobody would go, dude, like what are you well, wearing? This is so out of date. The, the only one I'd pick you up on that, Ben, is, I don't know what you guys feel about it, but the grey suit, he walks off the little pl- float plane when he arrives in the Bahamas. It's a little it's structured. Like, I quite like a grey suit. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, weirdly enough, owned a suit that was pretty much identical to that except it was a two button not a three button and i i it was one of those moments where you go either god damn it i'm 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 on it because i've <laughs> this before bonded or somebody's gonna see me in this and think i've bought this because yeah uh, and that's what annoyed me it'll be a, a full kit wanker yeah <laughs> Well, other just a little bit of trivia just to go. Um, these are more personal things. The exchange, um, the crazy product placement of the Omega watch when and um, Vesper is sizing Bond up, and she's like, "You like the finer things, a Rolex?" And he says, "Omega," and she says, "Beautiful." Uh, it, it, I don't know something about that little three lines. Is, yeah, it's so <laughs> egregious, but I love it's, it, and it's kind of shorthand between my partner and me. Whenever we see something fancy, or we're looking, and, and it always we always go <laughs> Rolex Omega, beautiful. <laughs> it's just uh, like a shorthand thing. Right. I, I highly recommend implementing that in your own lives with people whenever you see something fancy. But my final piece of trivia, which is a personal thing, is Eva Green. When Vesper is getting, I love the fact that they picked out outfits for each other that fit perfectly and she gets him the tailored tux and she's the one who puts him in the tuxedo for the first time and it's the first time you see him in tux. I love that she was, he's like, it's tailored. She's like, I sized you up the moment we met. Like, You and I are going to have some disagreements here, Natalie. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, it's, it's fun enough. What I don't like is she's putting her makeup on at the time. I'm I'm slightly obsessed with with cosmetics and beauty. It's a weird thing about me. Don't hate me. Let's get over it. It's just a thing I have. Mm. I had a stressful job. I needed an outlet. I can't draw. I can't do anything really creative. I I I put on makeup and colors and I love it. It's very very comforting and fun. Anyway, uh, this has resulted in me spending way too much of my time on YouTube watching tutorials of how to apply makeup. Eva Green is applying makeup terribly. <laughs> <laughs> she puts her mascara on as the first thing. Like you don't put your mascara on first as the first thing. And then she's just brushing brushing uh like non-existent eyeshadow on her eyeball or or looks like she's brushing her eyebrow. And anyway, it's just ridiculous. And then she comes out and she's got this perfect smoky eyes, which clearly a makeup artist has done. Anyway, that's just my personal grief. But that's the trivia. Right. Terrible makeup application. Phil. I was going to ask you if you want to do your watch thing because I think the watch thing is great. The watch thing is well, the you most, know the watch thing. Yeah. Do you, does everyone know the watch thing at this point? No, but, nobody, um, nobody knows it. Well, it, other people are ripping it off and put, claiming it as there, so you should. Uh, you're the OG yeah. watch trivia. People are so. posting po- pictures of my TV screen. It's great. Um, yeah. So uh, the the if you watch the climactic fight in the Venice uh, collapsing Venice building, you will see if you step frame three you'll see that he's taken off his watch and he's wrapped it around his knuckles and he's punching the guys with it um 
And it just oh. when you talked about Aston Martin being mad about this, it made me wonder if like Omega has like a better relationship with them, and and somebody somebody <laughs> was like, take that, uh, take that out of there. Um, yeah, but you can see him like start to reach for his the clasp on his wrist, and they cut away. And then when you see him start to like sneak up on these guys and punch them, he's got the his Omega around his his uh, knuckles, very which is another Fleming callback, of course, because in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, uh, I believe Bond does that with his Rolex, mm-hmm. and and you know it it sh- of course shatters into pieces and whatnot um but that's why he's not wearing the, the watch in the when he's giving her you know cpr at the end of the ah. that sequence the watch is magically gone um ah. yeah give that a look that is they good trivia cgi the watch back in later probably they, like they should a, have like a different one just to promote it <laughs> You know, on the CGI tip, I, I made a, an ignorant Twitter thread saying how, how we went from sort of stuntmen in wigs on Casino Royale to CGI face replacement in, in uh, Skyfall and No Time to Die. But someone pointed out mm. to me, there's some very rudimentary CGI face replacement in the parkour chase in one shot of the film, which uh, yes. I don't know. Yes. You can have to go looking for it, but it's... You're, it's you're ruining it for people, though, if you point it out. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Don't go looking for it. Just live in ignorant bliss. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's wacky. You play... He played a frame at a time and his neck gets really long for a second. But um, trivia. All right. Uh, final verdict time. There are no bad Bond films. There are some we watch more than others. Um, would you rank this as your top tier, middle tier, or bottom tier, and why? This is your personal um, ranking. Phil, would you like to go first? Sure. I don't think there would be any surprises on this one. It's it's top tier, and, and it's, it pivots between From Russia With Love as my number one, obviously. Um, it just sort of uh, – and I, I know there's so many hardcore old Bond fans who are going to call me a poser, but like this is this is the one that got <laughs> me excited about Bond again after uh, I was left very cold by the Brosnan era uh, growing up. So it to me, it is – it made Bond matter again, and it's uh, in retrospect only gotten better because uh, Craig proved. Uh, while I think he's one of the best Bonds, he proved he's not a sure thing in, in a film, uh, and and the movies can get away from him uh, here and there. Uh, but this was this is still the gold standard for for contemporary Bonds for me. Mm. Good stuff, Natalie. What would you like to say? As I mentioned or hinted earlier, uh, it's always seems to hit number four on my list, and that's because I can't, I, I just can't replace Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me, and GoldenEye as my like OG. It's, I just have too much love for those films, but Casino Royale comes in number four solidly, and I can certainly uh, understand its and appreciate its influence. It's excellent, creative, like the whole creative team working together and something that maybe we maybe you said in the die another day episode but to reiterate it's the same writing team although paul haggis mm-hmm. might be new but it's the same people who wrote die another day take a few years off and then come up with this obviously they're working off the fleming story which is a huge advantage but it is still pretty insane that that it's the same creative team essentially behind those two films so uh i think yeah, it's it's it as you say, great standard to meet, and uh, I has, <laughs> built up so much potential for the Craig era, which some ways it hit, other ways it missed. Um, but I guess we can always go back and have this film as you know, if you mm-hmm. if you if you're going to show someone a Daniel Craig film, this is the film I would show them. Yeah, yeah. and as, as we talked about, like don't let things 
the, the issues you have with subsequent <laughs> films uh, tarnish this one. That's right. right. That's right. Um, ben, do you want to close this out? Uh, yeah, I'll close this out on a happy note. Um, like Phil, this is kind of a, an alternating top spot film for me um, between this and Majesties. I think just um, it's always very difficult for me, but m- m- most of the time it's number one. And uh, I, I think for all of the reasons that we've discussed here, um, it's just a great, great film. And I also happen to see it at a good point in my life, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was a kind of a new starting point for me in my life. And um, it therefore has a personal resonance for me. But I, I genuinely love this film. Um, it, I said before, it sort of feels like a film in two halves. Sometimes I will just watch half of it and that'll be enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, yeah. And yeah, I just, um, I think it's a, I think it's a great, great Bond film and just a great film on its own. Um, and that's all I really have to say about it. Yeah, go see it. Enjoy it, everybody. Um, mm. Have a really awesome time. Yes, it's back out in theatres in the UK this week. It's probably the Bond film of recent years that's been most re-released in cinemas. Um, we're through one thing or another, whether it's secret cinema or um, in concert, uh, right, or various mm-hmm. other little events that it's hung on to. So it's probably the most accessible big screen re-release over the last 10 years. But um if you haven't, for whatever reason, have not made it to the big screen, it, it's it's something else to see it up there. Um, so yeah, so thank you, Phil, Ben, and Natalie. And thank you so much for having me. I was so happy welcome. to be on this one. And next week we're going to do Casino Royale Two, otherwise known <laughs> as Quantum of Solace. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.